Okay. Good to see everybody this morning for Sunday school. We've uh, had a couple of um, things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. We talked about counterfeits, how we don't want to be those, and how some of the things we can do to, to avoid uh, counterfeits, avoid having them around us, but more than importantly, I guess, to avoid becoming counterfeits. And then the last thing we looked at was the Shunammite woman. We saw she wasn't a counterfeit. She she had genuine faith. She truly trusted the Lord, and and she acted like it. She behaved like it, and and she got to the the ability to see the Lord work out things in her life that she would never have expected. And probably all of us can can attest to the fact the Lord does things uh, for us at times we don't we never would have seen coming. And it, it's it's like the old commercial that says life comes at you fast. Well, sometimes the Lord will bring things at you fast, won't He? And There'll be problems that you didn't see coming, and then he'll bring solutions that you would never have thought would come. And so those things are all good, and we saw that with the Shunammite woman. Today we're going to talk about, or start looking at uh, something, uh, I've titled the, the lesson, What We're Known By. And the reason, or the way I arrived at that title, uh, several, I think it's several years ago, I, read, I found a, a book of Billy Sunday's sermons. I don't know if you guys remember uh, the history of Billy Sunday. He used to be a professional baseball player in the early, I guess the early part of the 20th century. And for the first couple of decades of the 1900s, he was he was one of the best uh, known evangelists in the country. And I can remember seeing, I'm pretty sure, a video of him when I was in high school, just in a history class. He was a fiery little guy. But I found a book of his sermons, and one of the, the sermons in that book was titled The Faultless Christ. And in that, he said that people can be known for five things. And the, the five things that he listed is their character, their, which is what a person is, their conversation, which is what a person says, their conduct, which is what a person does, their contributions, which is what a person gives, and that, that includes much more than money, you know, how giving we are, whether time or whatever we have, and then a person's creed, which is what he believes. So he alliterated it, and it was five C's. But I like that because we can, any one of us can be known for these five things, our character, our conversation, our conduct, our contributions, or our creed. And so I wanted to take a look at what Scripture says about these things for us because certainly we don't want to find ourselves in the, in the area of being counterfeits in any one of these five areas, but we can be if we're not careful. Uh, and so we'll look at uh, what Scripture has to say about these things and how the Lord brings about changes in our lives so that uh, these things, these five things about us are good things at the end of the day or hopefully at the end of our lives. So let's pray before we start. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. We thank you for the Sunday school time. We pray uh, that, Lord, you would make it a profitable time for us. As we look into your word, we pray that you would teach us the things that we need to see here. We pray, Lord, that you would change our lives as a result of, of what we see in your Word, that it wouldn't just be uh, things that we read on a page and then uh, forget about them. But, Lord, we pray that we might, uh, as the Holy Spirit works in each of our lives, that we might incorporate the things that we see there, that we might be changed people, that we might uh, become more and more um, effective servants for the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I'm gonna we're gonna be 
looking at, I'm going to have you turn to more and more more scripture passages than usual because there's some things that, that I think we can see in these verses. So I apologize for that. In the early part of this lesson, it, it's that way, and then it kind of eases off a little later. So I'll give you a little bit of a break. The first thing that uh, that Billy Sunday said that we, we anyone, any person can be known for is character. That is what we are. In, in the, the quickest dictionary I had hand sitting beside my desk was the American uh, Heritage College Dictionary. And I just looked to see what it had to say. And it said, character is a combination or the combination of qualities or features that distinguishes one person, group, or thing from another. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Our character, we can think of it um, in maybe a, a word that might help a little bit. Instead of character, our characteristics. It's those things about us that distinguish us from everybody else. And so that's what our character is. There's an old adage that says your character is what you are when nobody else is looking. And I think that's, that's very true, isn't it? Uh, and, and we can contrast that to our reputation, which is what other people think about us. And that can be counterfeit very easily, can it? There are people that, uh, that we've heard of, we read about them every now and then. We may, some of them we may know. They got a really good reputation, but if you got to really know that person, you'd realize that their character is anything but good. They may have a, a reputation for being uh, a very generous person, and if you really got to know them, you'd realize they were stingy. They don't give to anything. They just make it look like they do. Or they may have a reputation of being a, just a totally honest person. Politicians can, can make a majority of people in this country think they're honest, they're down-to-earth people, they're salt-of-the-earth people, and then after they're elected, you find out that they're anything but. So their reputation maybe said they were good. Their character says they're lousy. And so that can happen in any part of our, any part of our character or our characteristics. One thing that we should note, I think, is that a character is a present attribute, not a past one. So your character is what you are now, not what you were 20 years ago. And that's very important because uh, being a present characteristic or a present uh, set of attributes, it means God can change those over time. And so I think every one of us can say that our character is a lot different now than it was before we were saved. Because as some people would say, when we were lost, we were characters in, in a negative connotation. But hopefully as the, as the Lord saves us and as we read and study His Word and as we are discipled by other Christians, we grow in our faith. And so our character becomes something much better than it used to be. And what I wanted to take a look at is some examples of New Testament people and how the Lord changed their character over time. And that's, that's why we're going to be looking at uh, several scripture passages so we can kind of see some of these things. And the first one we're going to look at is the Apostle Peter. And we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read a little bit about Peter as we go. And we're going to see how his uh, character, who he was, what his characteristics were maybe uh, before he was saved or right after he was saved, and then how that changed over time with Peter. So Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, verse 18 and read a few verses. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, or they were fishermen. Verse 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, Peter was not, uh, he and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen. 
common laborers of the day. They were not terribly intellectual people. They didn't need to be. They needed to have a certain level of education or a certain level of knowledge to do their jobs, to uh, pay their taxes to the Roman government and to, to raise families and, and all of that sort of thing. But they didn't have to be uh, highly polished, uh, highly educated people. And that's reinforced by Acts 4.13 where, and we'll get into this a little, a little further later, but the, uh, the religious leaders, the scholars in Peter's day actually referred to him at one point as being unlearned and ignorant. And if you look at the original, uh, the, the definitions of the, the Greek that are used to translate those words, though, that, is, that is very derogatory. And when they said unlearned and ignorant, when I, when I think of ignorant, I, I think uh, someone who's just not educated. You can, you can fix ignorance just by educating somebody, by teaching them. This word apparently means a little deeper than that. It was like they just con- considered Peter a complete ignoramus. He's just, he's just worthless in their eyes. And so it's very derogatory, but it, it does tell us that, that Peter was not a highly educated person when, when the Lord met him. And we know from his behavior that he, he certainly wasn't polished, was he? When you read about the things that Peter had to say, the, the way that Peter reacted, he wasn't a polished individual at all. So his character was, was lacking in a few things. Sometimes we know from his behavior uh, in the New Testament he was impetuous. He was impulsive. He was in, uh, impatient. He was passionate, very passionate. When you can see that in his in his responses and the things he had to say and the way he would go at things, he just feet first without thinking. He just jump into something, right? He would say something without, as we uh, often hear people say, he would put his mouth into gear long before he put his brain into gear, and so he would he would say things. He was often driven by his feelings and his emotions. That's what we see. That's the person that Peter was. I don't know if that was, I, I, I don't know that Andrew was that way. We don't see as much about his brother Andrew. Maybe Andrew was the quiet one thinking, oh, Peter says enough, I don't, I don't need to say a lot. And, and maybe he cringed. Uh, all of us maybe have, have seen people, maybe we've had brothers or sisters, and, and you just cringe. Uh, I, uh, I, that's enough said. Uh, what, they, what they would do. But, but Peter, he was that impetuous person. You're in Matthew. Turn over to Matthew 14. Let's read some verses there. We're going to see a, an example. This is a very uh, familiar passage of Scripture. You're going to see this impetuous uh, nature that Peter had. Starting in verse... Uh, this is, by the way, um, following uh, the events where Jesus had fed uh, the, the thousands of people with the five loaves and the two small fishes. And he had, after all of that day of activity, we talked about that not long ago, um, he sent the, the disciples in a boat to go to the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee. And they found themselves in a storm. Let's start reading in verse 22. It says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. When he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was in, now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. 
And Peter, here's the impetuous nature of Peter. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto the water, unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. We know that story. We know it quite well, don't we? Uh, Jesus is walking to them on the sea. They've been, they've been fighting the squall for some a lengthy period of time, the other passages tell us. And they weren't getting anywhere. They were rowing. These were seasoned fishermen, several of them in that boat, or that ship as, uh, as the script of the text refers to it. But they weren't getting anywhere. It says the, winds, well, the wind was contrary to them. And so they're tired. They're afraid. Uh, this squall has, has shaken them. And they see Jesus walking on the, on the water to them. That scares them even more. It probably would us too. It would terrify us, wouldn't it? And he said, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's just me. As though that was the most natural thing in the world. It's just me walking on the water to you. Don't be afraid. And when Peter heard that, he said, well, Lord, if it's you, then ask me to come out. On, on the water with you. And, and Jesus just said, okay, come on. And he did. And, and the, the text tells us he walked on water for some period of time until he started looking at the storm instead of the Lord. But isn't that a bit impetuous? A little bit impulsive to say, Lord, if that's you, let me walk on the water with you. I don't, I'm not sure that would have ever occurred to me. How about you? But that's who Peter was, isn't it? Look over to Matthew 16. Just to go another page probably see something else about uh, Peter and, and again this this being driven by this impulsive nature uh, being driven by his feelings and his emotions Matthew 16 we'll start reading in verse 21 and it says from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So Peter, the Lord, is, is trying to get the disciples or the apostles ready. He says, Look, I'm going to go. I'm going to die. I'm going to be a, give myself as a sacrifice. But I'll rise again the third day. And Peter just that impulsive Peter brings him aside. And he says, Lord, you've got to stop talking like this. You're scaring everybody. It'll, it'll never happen. We, we've got your back. We will protect you no matter what. And, of course, Peter didn't fully understand, did he? He'd been with uh, the Lord for some time now, years. Spent years with him. And he knew that when Jesus said something, it was going to come to pass. That he, well, he didn't make this stuff up. This is, it happened exactly the way he said. And yet... In Peter's mind, I'm not going to let that happen because I don't want to let go of you. Again, it's that impulsive nature, isn't it? It was part of Peter's character. It's who he was at that point. And we'll see some changes coming. Uh, we're in Matthew 16. Look at Matthew 17. You're right there. Starting in verse 1. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, that is Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. 
While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Again, it's a, this impetuous nature of Peter that the Lord allows uh, him and James and John to, to view the, the transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah appear with him there. And uh, the, it would seemingly be, uh, they were discussing things with him, and it seems to, to it represents Moses who gave the law, or uh, God gave them the Israelites the law through Moses. And then the Old Testament prophets who uh, expounded on the law to a certain extent, but they also prophesied the Messiah that would come, and Jesus, who is the Messiah, who has come. And Peter looks at that and he says, this is great, Lord. Let, let's just, it's so good that all three of you are here. You're such great prophets. Let's build a tabernacle for each one of you. It's almost as though Peter is equating the three. And God the Father intervenes and he says, this is my beloved son. The other two are not. They're not on equal footing, Peter. Listen, hear what my son has to say. And so he had, there's a bit of a correction there. But again, the, what we're pointing out is that Peter's impetuous. He's impulsive. This is a part of his character. A part of a character that could uh, and did actually lead uh, Peter into trouble from time to time, didn't it? Look at uh, Matthew 26. We're going to the, near the end of Jesus' ministry at this point. Uh, this is the, the night that Jesus was actually arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had told the apostles that this was going to happen. He said, someone here is going to do, um, deny me. Someone's going to uh, betray me. One of you will. And um, you're all going to be offended of me uh, because of me tonight. And Peter, remember his response, no, Lord, it's... All of the apostles were, is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? What, what's going on? What's going to happen? And Peter, his response was, no, though everybody else around betrays you, I won't. I won't turn my back on you. I told you, I've got your back, Lord. And the Lord told him, you're going to deny me tonight three times before this night's over, Peter. And Peter didn't believe that, did he? Matthew 26, I mean, yeah, Matthew 26, look at uh, verse 69. And we read, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou, art, thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. So he, he denied. He watched Jesus' trial from afar. But every time someone said, Weren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I don't know the man. All of them were afraid. They, they had seen Jesus get uh, arrested. They had no idea whether they might be next because they were his disciples. They had been preaching the same truth that he had. And so Peter, he's curious enough, he wants to be close enough to see what's happening, but he doesn't want to get sucked into it. And so he denies uh, that he knew the Lord. And in verse 74, it says that he began to curse when he was accused of being one of his disciples, to curse and to swear. Sounds like he maybe went back to that, that old characteristic of a fisherman, doesn't it? 
we've all heard that term uh, about somebody cussing like a sailor, haven't we? Well, maybe that was a characteristic of fishermen in that day. And certainly, it was coarse behavior. And he was accused that the last time people, they weren't really accusing him, I guess. They were just saying, you've got to be one of his disciples because of the way you talk. You got, nobody talks like you guys do. You're clean. You don't tell coarse jokes. You don't, you don't uh, use profanity and all of those things. And so Peter began to curse. He began to use profanity so nobody would think he was one of Jesus' disciples. It's not very good for your character when you go down that path, is it? And so we see that Peter is still rough around the edges, but he reached a turning point. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. We know that we're going to see evidence that there was a turning point here. He went out and wept bitterly after he realized when he heard the cock, uh, the rooster crowing, he knew that Jesus had been accurate, that uh, he was going to deny him, even though he said he wouldn't. This was after the resurrection. The, the women had gone to the tomb the empty tomb, and when they went in, they saw an angel sitting there. It, uh, the, the text says it was a young man, uh, but it was an angel, and he said, I know who you're looking for, but he's not here. He's gone. And let's read what it says, Mark uh, 16, verse 7. He tells these ladies, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as he said unto you. Jesus had told his disciples, the apostles, he had said, When I, I'm going to die, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to rise, and when I do, I'll meet you in Galilee. That's where, that's the region where they had done all their teaching, or so much of it. So, so much of what they had learned from him had been learned in Galilee, and he said, I'll meet you in Galilee. But he tells this angel, now you tell these ladies, tell the disciples and Peter. I know he's, he's, he's dejected right now because he realizes that he, he did deny me, he didn't think he would, he did. But he needs to know, I want to see him too, because he's important to me. So there's this turning point when Peter, at this point after he heard this, I'm sure he realized, I've been forgiven. The Lord wants to see me too. And so this is good. And after this point, after the resurrection, we see that Peter's character changes a great deal. He may have still had some of that natural tendency to be impetuous, but he was bold. Now, he wasn't going to deny the Lord anymore. He wasn't going to be afraid anymore. Uh, turn over to uh, Acts chapter 4. And we're going to read, get a, get a glimpse of this boldness that Peter had after the Lord changed him. After he realized he had been forgiven. Acts chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the pit temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they, they said, and by the way, the Sadducees uh, did not believe in, in the resurrection. And so they were, it, it, it was rubbing their fur the wrong way. Verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. It's kind of hard to, uh, for the local officials to do much with these preachers when 5,000 people just believe their word, isn't it? Things are about to get a little difficult for them. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, that's, that's telling, isn't he? Now he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's not filled with fear anymore. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, here's that verse that I referred to earlier, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healing, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name, that is the name of Jesus. And they called them and commanded them to not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. We see a different Peter at that point, don't we? He's been arrested with John. He'd been detained. They threw him in a holding cell because they said it's late. Supper's on. I've got to get, get home and get something to eat. So we'll just leave these guys chilling overnight. So the next day, all of the religious leaders brought them together. They threatened them. They commanded them not to preach in Jesus' name, which was, you, you saw the list there. It's the chief priests and uh, the former chief priest, or high priest that is, and, and uh, no, a number of other people and their family. It's been said that the, uh, the high priest at this point in time, Caiaphas and, and those around him, they, it was almost like a mafia family in Jerusalem. They, they controlled a great deal of, of graft that had to do with the, the sacrificial system. And so these were very powerful people. And they're, they're, they're gathered together and they're threatening. John and Peter, don't, don't preach in this name. Don't talk to anybody in this name of Jesus anymore. And what did Peter say? You guys are the ones who crucified him. But God raised him from the dead. And uh, you, you judge for yourselves whether it would be better for us to obey you or to obey God. But... Uh, you know, you judge that for yourself. We judge it for ourselves. We're going to continue to preach, and so there's, there's a great amount of, of uh, boldness there, isn't it? They they defy those religious leaders, and they vow we're going to continue to preach in His name. That's a different character of Peter than someone who uh, ran in the Garden of Gethsemane, or someone who denied they even knew Jesus. He's now he's bold. He had been given spirit, supernatural power by the Lord when he yielded himself to Christ, hadn't he? Uh, where you're in Acts. Look at Acts chapter 5. I'll we'll start reading in verse 12. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. 
And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Peter's preaching, John's preaching, it, it drew large crowds of people uh, to come to, to Christ. And verse 15 says, Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by over might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. He had that Peter was given an incredible amount of spiritual, uh, supernatural power to heal people. The Lord gave him that. And it was because I believe that he completely yielded himself to Christ at this point. His character has been completely overworked or reworked, I guess we might say, at this point. And so we see in verse 14, there were multitudes of souls that were being saved because of Peter's ministry. And we see in verse 16, all this healing power that he had. What we see here then with Peter is a transition. The Lord changed his character. He was changed from a rough-around-the-edges fisherman to a spirit-controlled fisher of men, which is what Jesus said he would make of him, isn't it? And so when Peter followed him that day, I'm sure he had no idea what was all the changes that were going to be made in his character. But God, God brought him around a completely about face on Peter's character, didn't he? That's, that's the first character that we can look at. A second one that we can look at, if you want to turn back to Mark chapter 5, this is also, I think, a familiar passage scripture to us. It involves a man that we refer to, or often he's referred to as the demoniac of Gadara. This is the man that, uh, well, we'll just read about him a little bit here, starting in verse uh, 1 of Ma uh, Mark chapter 5. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him no not with chains because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces neither could any man tame him now think about that there's something supernatural about here men don't normally break out of chains do they if people were really trying to, to restrain this man, they wouldn't have given him just a little necklace chain, would they? It would have been serious. And the demon spirits that inhabited this man gave him the uh, this man gave him the ability to break those chains. Verse five, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He fell down before him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now obviously this would be the demon speaking through him because the demons would recognize who Jesus was. This man of Gadara may never, may never have seen him before. Verse 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, my, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there were nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. There were about two thousand, and they were choked in the sea. 
And then the feather swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. I bet that did scare them. Yeah, you got 2,000 pigs. And pigs don't normally run into the water to drown themselves. Humans are the only creatures that commit suicide, right? So that, this would have been a scary thing, wouldn't it? In verse 15, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. They knew who this guy was. They may not have known a lot about Jesus, but they knew this man that lived in the tombs. And they found him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Because a lot of things scared people this day. They, nobody expected to see this guy in his right mind. And sitting there uh, calmly having a discussion with the people around, right? Verse 16, And they that saw it told him how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath compassion on thee, or hath had compassion on thee. Verse 20, And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. So we see this man, he was possessed when we meet him with many demons. Some say 2,000. One for each of the pigs. I, I don't know that that's the case or not. It could have been more than 2,000 for all we know. 2,000 of them or, or, or many of them inhabited this man. It could have been multiple demons per pig for all we know. But this man, we're told in verse 3 that he dwelt in the tombs. That is quite unnatural, isn't it? That's enough to freak people out. Nobody wants to be around a guy who chooses to live in graves or in a graveyard. Most people don't even want to go to a graveyard unless they have to, do they? In verse uh, 4, we're told that he couldn't be tamed. People tried to calm him down. Now, there was something going on with this man, and I'm, I'm sure his family members, and I'm sure that even law enforcement officials would like to get him under control because he was a frightening individual. Verse 5, we're told that he was constantly crying and cutting himself. Now, this sounds like demon activity, doesn't it? It reminds me of the, the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when Elisha was had given them the challenge. They were dancing around. They were calling on their gods, which are demons, by the way. They were cutting themselves, trying to get their attention. This man was out of control. He was hurting himself, and people would have wanted to help him. And so they tried to bind him. They tried to, let's, let's, uh, we'll put him in chains. We'll take him somewhere. We'll get him some help. he just break the chains off. And so there was nothing to help him. And essentially, this man was no earthly good to anybody, was he? I can't imagine anybody saying, well, let's take a picnic lunch over there to, uh, to, to Byron in the, grave and, uh, in the graveyard and, and we'll sit and have lunch with him and we'll watch him cut himself and he'll jump up and down and scream and holler, but it's okay. It's just Byron. Everything will be fine, right? No, nobody wanted to be around him. He was no good to anyone until Jesus showed up and in verse 8 we're told he cast out that unclean spirit. Actually, it was multiple un unclean spirits, wasn't it? It was multiple demons that Jesus cast out of him. That man was completely changed, wasn't he? Because when the witnesses came, what did they find? They found him, what did they say? Sitting and clothed and in his right mind. By this time, maybe they've already bandaged up whatever injuries he might have had where he was cutting himself. You can imagine, I, I always have this picture. They're sitting there, maybe they got a campfire and they're just sitting around and, and just talking. Boys, what, how's things? Did you hear what was going on down such and such? And then the apostles are saying, maybe saying, dude, what happened to you? What, what made you do that? 
Didn't, didn't it scare you to be that way? How did you break all the chains and all? And they're just they're just reasonably having on this conversation. He's got clothes on now. Nobody had ever been able to get him to keep clothes on. This guy has completely changed. And what we see in verses 19 and 20, or in verse 18, we'll start there. He wanted to be with Jesus. Read what he says. And when he was coming to the ship, that is Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Let me stay with you. You did this for me. You've, you've changed me. My life is completely different now. And I want to be with you. No matter where you go, I'll be with you. A little bit different than Peter. No, I don't even know the man. This guy has been changed. And he wants to be with Jesus. And then in verse 19 and 20, we see that he became a witness. Jesus told him, go home to your friends. I know you still got friends. I know that you've been estranged from them for a while now, but they care about you. And go tell them how things are different. They, they might be a little leery when they first see you coming down the road, but tell them what's happened to you. And that's exactly what he did. And it says that... Um, he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. That was a region in their Deca, uh, Greek for ten, so it was a region of ten towns, villages, cities, we might call them. And he went into that region and he began to tell what Jesus had done for him. And what does it say? And men marveled at, at what Jesus the Lord had done for him. He became a witness for Christ. What, the, what we see here again, we see a man whose character was one who, who was demon-possessed, one who was of no earthly good to anybody. And God had changed him to a point where he became an ambassador for the heavenly king. That's quite a change, isn't it? And so uh, we're talking about we can be known for our character. These men, or this man, this demoniac, this demon-possessed man, he wasn't, didn't have a very good character at first. Now he did. He was a witness for Christ. I don't know if he ever met Jesus again. I have no idea. But there were other people who met Jesus because of his testimony, because they believed what he had to say. And so we see, uh, that's a couple of examples. Peter first, then the, the demoniac of Gadara. And a third one is the Apostle John himself. And I won't make you turn to this verse, but along with his brother, James, John, when we first meet him, he was... He was referred to as one of the sons of thunder. That's not a very, uh, that's not very complimentary. I'm, I'm thinking at that point. I think it had to. Jesus referred to him as that. He was uh, seemingly it was a reference to having a hot temper. He and James. That may have been fisherman behavior. I don't know. I, if if they're known when they're in calm circumstances as sons of thunder, can you imagine what it would be like on a night when they pulled the nets in and there wasn't any fish in them? I got a feeling things got a little heated then, and you might have heard some cussing like a sailor from these two men at that point, right? It was just more of that coarse fisherman behavior. And if you will, turn to Luke 9. You had a little bit of a reprieve. Luke chapter 9. Let's read a little bit more about James and John and how they got, maybe how they got that nickname. John chapter 9, look at verse 51. We read, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should, this is he, Jesus, should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now we remember Jews and Samaritans hated each other. There was a great deal of animosity there. They might allow Jews to come through their town, but Jesus, he wasn't coming to see them. They, it was clear that he was on his way to Jerusalem to more Jews, to the, the seat of the Jewish 
uh, religion to where the temple was, and they didn't want to have anything to do with that. So they didn't receive him when he came there. Uh, verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah's, or Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has come to not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. He said, No, we'll just go to a different village. We don't need to call fire down on these guys. I'm, that's not why I'm here. I didn't come to seek and to burn up those that were lost. I came to seek and to save. And I've been trying to teach you guys this. Because this is near the end. We're getting to the, that closer to that time when he's going to Jerusalem to be crucified, to give himself as a sacrifice. So these men have heard him preach. And so I can imagine the Lord thinking, how did I not get across to you guys? I've told you this over and over again. Do you, remember, do you, do you imagine any of our teachers felt the same way when we were in school? And they would ask a question, and we'd give this off-the-wall answer, and they're like, how many times have we been over this? How, how many times did our parents do the same thing when we were growing up? Especially those of us who are guys. I can't speak for Rhonda and, and Robin, but us guys were probably, our, our mothers were like, how did you not get that by now? But anyway, Jesus said, that's not why we're here. We're, we're not here to call fire down on anybody. These guys, John and James, they needed that, those rough edges. They still need those rough edges to be filed off a little bit or worn down, didn't they? they uh, speaking of John, that's who we're talking about specifically here. He did experience a great deal of adversity in his life. There were trials that they went through as, as disciples, even during Jesus' ministry. Certainly it was a trial when uh, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. John is the only apostle that we're told who was actually present at the crucifixion. So he saw the one that he knew was the Son of God uh, betrayed. He saw him crucified. He saw him die. And John is certainly the one that, that, that Jesus said, that from now on my mother is yours. Take care of her. And he, he took that responsibility. So there was adversity in John's life. And, and the Lord took special attention, I think, to John. I'm going to, rub, I'm going to get these rough edges off for you, John. I'm going to make you something different than what you are. I'm going to change your character. And so that's what he did for John. He lived longer than any of the other apostles. Quite a bit longer than, than some of them. And we know that uh, from history that he was exiled because of his faith and because of his preaching. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos, which was a prison island, until he was in his 90s. And we're told that that, was a, a, that prison, uh, that island, people went there for hard labor. And so I don't know if John had to, to engage in hard labor or if they was just exiled to get him away from people so he couldn't preach to anyone else. Uh, certainly he must have had a, a captive audience there on Patmos. But he had all this adversity to come through. And what we see in his life is he followed the Lord long enough that he became, he picked up a different nickname, not a son of thunder. He picked up the nickname of the Apostle of Love. Isn't that quite a difference than the one who said, you want us to call fire down to, to consume these, these evil Samaritans? No, he was the apostle of love. In 1 John 4, 7, you don't have to turn to this one. Uh, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That is quite a difference, isn't it? When the Lord take, gets hold of us, he can change our character, can't he? He can change us completely from being a son of thunder uh, an unforgiving person to someone who is 
who is a person of love. And that's what he did for John. He became that he went from being that unforgiving apostle to one that taught more about love than probably anyone else in Scripture. Because if you read the words of, of John's gospel and of the three epistles of John, you read a great deal about love in there. This is a man that God said, I'm not going to give up on you. You may have a rough around the edges character. You may be a son of thunder now, but when I get finished with you, you're going to be something completely different. And so some 90 years later, after his childhood, he's an apostle of love. And uh, we even see that in the book of Revelation as well as he's recording what's coming. God's love is going to be coming uh, to us. And so we see this is three examples. There's one more, but I don't think we will start on that uh, this week. But we see the, the apostle Peter... Uh, that demoniac or that demon-possessed man in Gadara and the Apostle John. We see how the Lord changed them. They were known by their character. When they were younger, they were known by one character. When they were older, they were known by something completely different. And, and we can hope as, as Christians that the same thing will be said of us, that uh, we're now known for much better character than we were uh, before we were saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to look at these examples in the New Testament. Lord, we do know that we are known. Uh, we and, and everyone else, well, one of the things we're known by is our character and our behavior, our characteristics, those things that set us apart from other people. And we pray that as Christians, we, there would be things about us that do set us apart from other people, uh, from lost people, people who don't know Christ. And we pray that there would be things about our character that would make lost people begin to ask us questions, why we are different, what it is that allows us to see the world uh, through a different set of lenses the things that can allow us to have peace when it seems like the world's falling apart around us, the things that can change our language, our speech patterns, the places we go, the things that we do, and we don't have the love of the world. We pray that, Lord, that our lives might lead people to ask us those questions and open up opportunities so we can witness to them. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would just uh, continue to work on us throughout our lives uh, to, to change our characters, to, to mold us into what we ought to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.